We read this day from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6. These somewhat familiar words. Let's listen for the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of the Lord's power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplications for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message of boldness may be given to me. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you went to the Kentucky State Fair this week, perhaps you saw the woman who had the ability to take a phone book and rip it in half. When I first heard the story, I thought to myself, I didn't know they still printed phone books. Uh, And then I thought, this woman's strong. Wow. Matt told me I missed this week, uh, last week on the Olympics, uh, the weightlifting competition. These people lifting... 600 pounds and more over their heads. And I thought, wow, that's a lot. That's really strong. We're all for strength here. We believe that, as Scripture says, we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we're called upon to take care of our bodies as temples of the Spirit of God. It's an important part of who we are. And If you've had any illness recently, you know the importance of taking care of your body. If you watch TV, you know they make a big deal of it. There's always a section in the national news about health. There's always a section in the newspaper about health. And if you have a computer, you've probably gotten one or more emails about ways to enhance your health. It's everywhere. And yet, Jesus said... Jesus said, 
It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh, he said, is useless. Now, I think he was speaking in hyperbole there. I don't think he means us to take him literally. But he's making the point that is so important that physical strength or even intellectual strength or financial strength, those kinds of strengths only take us so far. It's a very important truth for us to let sink down into us. They'll only take us so far. There's a saying that if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, all the world looks like a nail. In other words, if the only strength you have is this kind of coercive strength, physical strength, financial strength, military strength, the the ability to, to blackmail someone even, those forms of strength and power, if those are the only forms, then it's up to us to acquire this strength and maintain this strength. And then all the world sort of looks like a a boxing ring where we have to fight with others to compete my strength against your strength. But the psalmist said, happy are those whose strength is in you, O Lord. They go from strength to strength. Or as Paul said in the book of Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of the Lord's power. The strength that we most need. Really the only strength that will allow us to be the boys and girls, the men and women that God is dreaming us to be is not available in the gym. It's not available in the health food stores. It happens in places like this and in moments like this when we cultivate our relationship with God. What is this strength? What is this capacity that faith brings to allow us to do what we need to do? It's not something we can fake. Here in the South, we're told sometimes to be strong, which means fake it, hold it in, don't show pain, put on a good face. That's not what it means. And sometimes in church, we're told to be strong, which we often misinterpret to mean be overconfident in your doctrinal statements and your beliefs so that you cannot be dissuaded. What God wants to give us is something far different. It is that capacity in the core of who we are to be able to stand as children of God, as persons of worth, no matter what is going on around us, that we have the capacity to resist that Herculean pool of our culture and the majority rule to, in effect, deny God. You've heard me talk about this a lot because I'm so aware of this recently of how we're called to deny God, if not in word, to deny God in the reality of how we live, to eschew our accountability, to renounce any sense of hope, when to the contrary, we're called, we're called to live a different way, to be able to do as Jesus did 
in the wilderness when he was tempted to say no to those things that are wrong for us and our world. When we're being steadily bombarded with global capitalism and mass marketing and mega stores and mega churches and mega TVs and mega cars and all the banality and hostility and perversity and materialism of the world to say, no, that's not how I'm going to find my worth. And on the contrary, to be able to say yes to those things that are of God, to be able to see differently because of the strength God has given us, to look further than our eyes can see, further than a telescope can take us, more intently than a microscope can take us, into that sort of spirit scope that lets us see where God is at work in the world and to say, yes, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to live by that old camp song many of us grew up singing. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. When you see that kind of strength, you notice it. It it resonates with your soul. In these stories of old, we hear these tales of people who had that kind of strength to, to withstand. And something in us says, yes, this is right, this is true. We read the story of the Anabaptist Dirk Willems in 1569. One of those who was starting to hear the Spirit speak in different ways and to worship God in different ways, and because of that was being uh, charged with sedition and heresy. He was being chased by one of the officials of the church, chased into the woods on that cold January night. He crossed the lake that had been frozen over and had made his way to the other side, even though his pursuer was right at his heels when he heard a crack behind him. It was the ice breaking. And he heard this cry go out, his pursuer plunging into the icy waters. He was free. He could have kept going. But something in Dirk Willem stopped him in his tracks, compelled him to turn around, to crawl back across that cracked ice and to offer his hand to his pursuer and pull him to life again. That strength... That's the kind of person God is calling. Does it mean things always work out perfectly for us? It does not. Dirk Willem, after rescuing his pursuer, was arrested, tortured, and burned at the stake. But we remember him 500 years later because of the strength to do and be the man that God called him to be. That's the kind of strength we need. I've told before the story of that little village in eastern France, La Chambeau, that protected the Jews from the Nazis when every other village around them was giving them up. They were hiding the Jewish people that were being pursued by the Germans and allowing them to know life and freedom. That's the kind of strength we need. We've told before in this room the story of Martin Luther King, the young Baptist minister who found himself at the head of a movement to help 
bring civil rights to people who were oppressed. He didn't know what he was doing. There was no blueprint for him. He had been threatened repeatedly. And one evening in his kitchen, in his home, he sat up at night and prayed to the Lord, I'm through. I'm done. I don't have the strength. I don't know what to do. And the word of the Lord came to Martin King saying, Martin, I will be with you always. And in that moment, he found the strength he needed to be the man for that particular time. That's the kind of strength we need. The stories that come to us from the boycotts, the bus boycotts of the 1950s in Montgomery, Alabama. When the people gathered and said, we will not fight, but we will resist. We will have a nonviolent protest. We'll not ride the buses. Their only means to and from work and around the city. They began to walk to work, miles to work, miles home after a long, hard day, and then miles to their churches in the evenings where they could gather and find that strength they needed to be the people of God for the next day. Mother Pollard said one day, My feet is weary, but my soul is rested. That's the kind of strength that we need. We need the kind of strength that the Amish people showed just a few years ago in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. When a person shot those beautiful little girls in their schoolhouse. And somehow... Somehow, by the grace of God, they had the strength to forgive the shooter. That's the kind of strength we need. We need the kind of strength that came to Will Campbell, a white man who was in the midst of the civil rights conflict, and he realized that the problem was that people were too much taking sides, and no one was trying to speak to both sides, and That became his sense of calling to preach the gospel to both sides. We think of Brooks Hayes, that great Arkansas Republican senator, who in 1958 supported the integration of Little Rock schools, even though he knew good and well that it was going to cost him his office. We need the kind of strength that A.J. Musty had Later, the head of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, back in the 1950s, he stood for weeks in front of a strategic airbase with a sign that said, Ban the bomb. Rain or shine, there he stood. One day, a reporter said to him, You know you're not going to change anyone by standing out here. He replied, Yes, I know. But what I hope to do is to keep them from changing me. That's the kind of strength we need. We need the kind of strength I saw on Thursday when I drove to Cincinnati to visit a young man by the name of Burke Tinsley. He's weak as a kitten. He can barely walk, barely talk, barely write. But when he communicates, you find in him this deep strength that comes from God alone that says my life has worth and value and whatever God gives me to do, I will do it. What I notice in all of these stories is that God's strength 
is most often in those who are otherwise weak or have little power or, if they have power, are willing to risk that power in the cause of love. It's almost as if God's strength has a hard time coexisting with other forms of strength. It kind of reminds me of two cooks in the same kitchen. They, they just don't get along. They, they've got different ways. They have different patterns. That's why Jesus said it's so hard for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's why Pilate, in dialoguing with Jesus, just couldn't get there. They're talking on different planes. It's why Judas, when he tried to force Jesus' hand, just didn't get what Jesus was all about. For in a sense, God's strength begins. God's strength begins in unstrength. Unstrength, being vulnerable and unprotected. It, it can't be about winning, but rather about surrendering to God. It's the hardest thing we can ask ourselves to do. It's counterintuitive, which is why we gather week after week to unlearn things and become, in a way, unstrong. The apostle said it this way, When I am weak, then I am strong. The strength comes from God. It is not us. It is not simply our conditioning. It has nothing to do with our own individual strength. It is about the community doing the things that we must to be the people of unstrength so that we can be people of God's strength. Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. If you're going to fight, and fight we must. If we're going to fight, let's put on this armor. Here's the armor. It's the belt of truth. Truth. It's the breastplate of righteousness, which is another word for justice, doing the right thing. It's the shoes that bring the gospel of peace. It's the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, which isn't just about getting saved in that simple way. It has to do with being rescued from irrelevance and the kind of strength that We're so prone to go after the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. To know that Word, to practice that Word, to to live into that Word, and to make it part of who we are. Fred Craddock tells the story of visiting a woman in the hospital. She was about to undergo a major surgery, and she was just delirious with fear. She was panicking. She's crying. She's asking Craddock for prayers and help. He said he looked around that hospital room, and on the bedside table were stacks of magazines about celebrities and movie stars and gossip columns and beauty tips. 
He says there wasn't one thing in that room that would give her one calorie of help in her moment of need. That's why we're here. If the strength comes from God, we need to read this stuff and read it to each other and sing the songs of faith and be community together and study these things. That's why we distribute Bibles to the children and to the sixth graders. Not as little good luck charms, not as relics from the past, but these are weapons of the Spirit. Maybe we should have them required to have licenses because these are weapons, God's weapons, weapons of the Spirit. We need these kids to read these books with their parents. We need you parents to bring them to Bible study classes. We need you to bring them to youth group where they can be formed in faith and then intergenerationally. We need to read this book together to be the people of God, to find the strength that we need. When we pastors get together, we, we talk about you. I don't know if you know that. We, we figure you talk about us, so we might as well talk about you. When it's my turn to talk, I tell about this woman in our church who heard the admonition of John the Baptist in the Gospel of Luke when he says, if anyone has two coats, give one away. She said, I have two kidneys and I'll, I'll give one away. It's an amazing story. My friend Kyle in East Texas tells the story of Molly. When Molly was in seventh grade, she was a shy little kid, would just blush if you even said hello to her, but she was fast, and she was on the school track team. In fact, she was one of the key members of the team. So when the team had a meet, and the meet had to be rescheduled because of weather, and it got rescheduled to another weekend, that was the weekend the church was to go on a mission trip, there was a problem. Molly went to the coach. She said, oh, um, and we didn't have this meet scheduled, and I was going to go with my church on this mission trip. We're going to go help little kids in the inner city. The coach said, well, you're on this team. You need to honor your commitment. She went home, and she cried. She went back to him the next day, and she said, I know I'm committed to the team, but I'm also committed to church. Uh, is there something we can do to allow me to fulfill my commitments? The coach said to her, you are either here or you turn in your uniform. The next day she turned in her uniform. On Wednesday night, the church gathered, and they heard this story about Molly, and it made them mad. This is East Texas, and their first reaction was, let's go whip that coach. (laughs) And they weren't kidding. Then they thought, maybe we need to fight power with power. Maybe we need to find some legal reason the coach can't kick her off the team. And then they thought, well, maybe we need to go to him and try to find a compromise. And finally they sat with Molly, and they said, what do you think? And Molly said, it's about God. Kyle said, we all looked at our shoes and 
thought, oh my goodness, this, this kid, she's been listening. Kyle wanted to say to her, hey, I was just preaching. I didn't mean anything by all this stuff. They looked at that little girl and realized she'd been formed in the strength of God. When Molly was a senior in high school, it was about this time of year, school beginning again, football season, playing one of their big rivals for, in the Friday night football game. You've heard of Texas football. It's a big deal. Friday morning, they have a big pep rally, and we've all been to these. Everybody's there except for the kids who are out back smoking. The faculty's there, and, and uh, the student body's there, the band's there playing, and the cheerleaders come in, and the football team all enters, and everyone cheers, and then the cheerleaders put on a little skit. They have a group of students dressed in the school colors of the team they're going to play that night. And they all parade in and everyone boos. And they line them up and they have them kneel down and they blindfold them. And then the cheerleaders go behind them one by one. They pull a little toy gun out of their skirt and shoot them in the back of the head, one after another, and they fall to the ground. A football player comes and drags them out of the gym while the place goes wild. All except for Molly, who's appalled, knowing what's going on in the world today. She asked permission to go to the principal's office. She said, I I don't think this is right. This is not the kind of message... We need to be delivering, even in fun. He said, you're the only one that seems upset by it. No one else has a problem. She says, I have a problem. She met up with some of her other kids from her church, and they also had a problem. So together they wrote a letter to the school paper, submitted it as required, and the next week the newspaper came out, the story wasn't in it. The principal had censored it from the school paper because it was critical of the administration. But the city paper heard the story. They came and interviewed Molly and her friends. And in about a week, some other Texas newspapers picked up the story. And before you knew it, the principal was apologizing to Molly for what had transpired in that pep rally. The point is not to force a principal to apologize. The point is, here's a kid who was raised in the strength of God, who had the strength she needed, who knew it was about God and was able to go against the flow. This year as we begin our new Bible study classes, may God raise us all and give us the strength we need. To the glory of God, amen. Let's pray. May we be formed by your spirit into the men and women, the boys and girls, for the living of these days. As we follow your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.